Welcome to the Wolf Whistle, the podcast that interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Welcome to the Wolf Whistle. Welcome to the 60th edition of the Wolf Whistle podcast, the podcast which interviews and celebrates the former players of our great club. Not just players, it's managers. And today we're very lucky, we're going all the way to Spain to speak to a gentleman called Greg Fellows, who was a coach at the club in the mid-80s. Greg, how are you? Hi, Jason. I'm very good, thank you. Everything's fine down here in Spain. A little bit of rain today, but apart from that, we haven't got the, the snow and ice that you've got, mate. Flipping it, little bit, good. little bit of rain. You didn't sign up for that, did you? <laughs> didn't sign up. Well, I'll tell you what, we get, we get about sixty days rain a year, which which is not too bad. Oh. I mean, it greens everything up. You can't moan at that. So, so Greg, you're one of I've been really interested uh, to, to to interview for for a number of reasons. One, you was at a club at a very very critical time in the mid eighties, and you, you was a coach. So I want to roll back the years. Really, you was born in Dudley, and I believe you was on uh, schoolboy forms at Wolves growing up, wasn't you, Greg? Well, actually, yeah. Um, no, I didn't actually sign the forms. I was offered schoolboy forms with with uh, the Wolves. I didn't actually sign them. I was close to it. Right, but. Tommy Duck, Tommy Duck came along at the villa and sort of enticed me to go to to Aston Villa. I, I loved him, and I loved his style of football and that the, the way that he gave uh, young players the opportunity to progress. You know. Yes. And from day one, I was convinced that the villa, obviously another local club for me, it wasn't that far down the road. You know, I could jump on the bus, the Bombay Express, to. Uh, West Bromwich and Smethwick yeah. and down to Villa Park, you know. Yeah. Who did you support growing up, Greg? I was a big Wolves fan. Oh, I used okay. to stand on the South Bank. Yeah. Uh, pay me one and threatens to get in and, and and watch, you know, Ron Flowers and uh, Mike Bailey and and the Doug and Huey McElmoy, uh, McElmoyle. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Fred Davis was in goal, I remember. Les Wilson. Flipping uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, that's the, that's what I used to watch on a Saturday afternoon. Used to love the Wolves. What a Still team. Still do. Still got a big soft spot for the Wolves, you know. It's a great a great club with a great tradition, tradition and I've, I've always felt it's a great honour to have been a part of it, you know, in some way, small well, way. Well, definitely, Greg, because obviously when I put it on Twitter, the fact we was interviewing you, uh, I put your picture up, and I've got to be honest, I didn't expect many people to come back, and, and, and straight away, loads of people, Greg Fellow, so they knew exactly who you was. So you was at the villa with Tommy Doherty. He then obviously uh, got the job uh, at Manchester United to be their manager, and he, he took you along to Man United, didn't he, Greg? Yeah, he signed me at the Villa. Yeah. Uh, I was four years at the Villa, uh, playing mainly in the in the reserves, you know, in the youth youth sides there. And then he offered me the the chance to go up to United as a player wow. up there. He actually signed me three times, you know, uh, at the Villa, at United, and then at the Wolves as a coach. And also after I finished my playing career, well, not finished my career, finished my career at United, I 
I've got a picked up a bad injury, and he also he also fixed me up with a contract in Hong Kong. You know, when I played out there. I mean, so yeah, Tom was a big influence on my footballing career. You know. Oh, huge! And I know, obviously, he's recently passed, which is very sad. I know you was you was a, a you was a big big friend of his. Actually, thinking about that, Greg, if he signed you at Villa and Man United and Wolves, isn't it like the World Cup? If he signed you three times, he gets to keep you. <laughs> I wish. I wish. <laughs> no, he, for me, um, he was a, a great guy. A great. He turned out to be a great friend. You know, after uh, after a, a long relationship with him. Um, uh, we had a lot of fun together. His knowledge of football was tremendous. Yes. You know, he knew you could mention a player, and he knew he, he, he knew where they were, what they'd done, where they'd come from. Yes. Um, just just all round knowledge was fantastic. His sense of fun, and uh, it it was great. And I honestly believe, at the time we were at the Wolves, you know, that had the finances been there for him, I think he could have done. You know, a great job. Oh. He didn't have anything like the money he had, you know, at Old Trafford to work with, you know. And, and I mean, um, I want to come on to that now, Greg, because once again, that was a real pivotal time in Wolves history. We did interview last year Doug Hope, and I know you know Doug, and that was fascinating behind-the-scenes yeah. stuff at Wolves in the 80s. Now, after, so, I mean, your football career, you went to America, Hong Kong, you come back, you took your coaching badges and I believe that's when um, Tommy Doherty invited you in initially to take over the Wolves youth team is that right Greg? Well yeah um, the youth team coach at, at the Wolves at the time uh, was another great guy a guy called Frank Upton yes Frank Upton uh, and Big Frank had been my uh, youth team coach in the Aston Villa days you know yes and uh, Frank had invited me to, to do a bit of work. I was taking my coaching badges, my FA, my preliminary, and then later on my full badge. Um, uh, and he'd invited me to come and do a bit of work with the school schoolboys on a Tuesday night and a Thursday night down at Castlecroft, which, yes. which I, I was happy to do and I loved, enjoyed it, you know. Um, after Tom's appointment uh, as manager at the Wolves, uh, for some reason or other, him and him, him and uh, uh, Frank parted ways, along with Jim Barron, who yes. was, in my opinion, Jim was another great coach, uh, and I enjoyed a, a good relationship with Jim Barron. Yes. Um, uh, for some reason, uh, not known to me is that you know Tom sent them on the way, and he offered me um, the youth team coach's job. Because after a, after a bit of a chat with Frank, I was I was happy to accept it, you know. Because what's interesting is, Greg, I watched the documentary, it's still on YouTube now, uh, Moment of Truth. And Moment of Truth centres around um, Derek Ryan, who we've had on the podcast, and Steve Blackwell, two young players, YTS players, who were looking to get <clears throat> professional contracts. And the Moment of Truth was them going into Tommy Doherty's office and, and whether there was offered the professional contract or not. Interestingly as well, Greg, uh, you was you was a part of that, and there's a, a few scenes where 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 you're in the dressing room with the lads. That's right, and that was just about they were they were filming us. They actually filmed that over a period of a couple of months. You know, yeah, they were in and out every day, and that during that transition period of Frank leaving and me sort of um, coming into the club. Uh, all overlapped each other, so yeah, I was in a, a few of the scenes on the on the telly, 
you know. Um, yeah. uh, and so was Frank. Yeah, I, um, I, I only watched it the other day, to be honest, just in, uh, just before I interviewed Derek Ryan. And it was really interesting yeah. because, yes, there's been on YouTube recently, Sunderland Till I Die and programmes like that. And, and, and this was quite warts and all. I mean, if anyone hasn't watched it, I do urge them to watch it because it, it is it was really interesting. So for you to be involved in it, Greg. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I've looked back on it, I looked back on it, uh, I think, last year with my son and it made me cringe a little bit, you know, <laughs> to, think that was, to think that was as raw as that, you know. But it, it was, yeah, it was interesting times. Yeah, I mean... I mean, the club, the club were going through some really bad... Uh, Bad stages financially, oh, you know. That's that's what um, I was going to say, Greg. Uh, uh, sorry to interrupt. You, the the, the the Wolves have just signed a player, thirty-five million pounds, right? Um, yeah. There, there was a chance that this club might not even be here, and once again, that time it was critical, wasn't it? Well, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I can say categorically, were it not for the likes of Derek Dugan, and for me. The Barty brothers, yes. I know that won't be popular with a lot of Wolves fans because yeah. they weren't well liked. But I, I really felt sorry for the Barty brothers because they were promised, um, they were promised things by the club and by Wolverhampton Council that never materialised. You know, yes. they were never football people; they were property de developers. You know, yes. and they put their money into the club uh, on a promise that they would benefit. In other directions, that never yeah. materialised, and unfortunately, the Barty brothers took a lot of stick for it. You know, did he? Uh, and in actual fact, without them and without the Duke and the likes of Doug Hope and Roger Hipkiss putting a few quid into the club, Wolverhampton Wanderers wouldn't have survived. You know, I think, I think, Greg, it, it's exactly that. Um, <coughs> sorry, got a frog in my throat. Exactly that with the Batty brothers. <coughs> sorry about this. <coughs> I'm alright now with the Batty brothers I think there was chucked under the bus a little bit maybe they didn't <clears throat> exactly make the right decisions but you're quite right they were property developers they were bought in um, to, to their buying of the club and their financing of the club was on the proviso that land was sold behind the North Bank to a supermarket which is now Asda and that never happened and because that never happened they was made the scapegoats now yes they made some drastic decisions and some wrong decisions along the way but they was doing all they could along with the people that was at the club to keep it afloat uh, and to give us a future do you know what Jason they weren't football people like we've said they were property developers and yes. they got the promise of, of land uh, to build what you know a supermarket yes. which is now the Asda like you say you know, and they didn't really understand the running of the football club yeah. and the finances. Uh, and it's like any anybody. And I mean, I'd ask any of the supporters if you'd been promised something, and uh, you said, "Okay, I'll pay you when I get it." You know, you'd pay when you got it. But if you didn't get it, you wouldn't be happy about paying. Yeah. Do you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> of course. Um, I got great. I got great sympathy for them. You know. And there were really, really difficult times, you know. Yes. I, I think we've talked about uh, this. This is a story about the milkman that didn't get paid, you know, um, <laughs> for the just for it was fifteen quid. I remember I paid it, you know. I got the money back. Keith Pearson gave it me that time, you know. But he had to pay the milkman before he'd drop another pint of milk, so that the lads could have a cup of tea after training. 
there was no nothing at the club, you know. And it, and it, and it's, uh, it's things like that, Greg, which obviously we take for granted now. I mean, a milkman's bill, fifteen quid, and I know there's a, there's yeah. another interesting story which we can lead into now. <laughs> With yourself on a on a you know talking about people not being paid uh, when the reserves were playing at Grimsby. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean that was that was a classic. You know, uh, I can tell you about it if you're interested. Yes, of yeah. course. The bus, the bus, uh, our regular bus uh, people that used to shuttle the first team, the reserve team, all to the away games. We got a Central League game up at Grimsby. So the bus has pulled up at about uh, well, 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. All the skips are loaded. Uh, I'm taking a, I'm taking the 15, 16 lads up there, you know, of which obviously we're going to field 12 for a side and, and a few lads to help with the kids and the bucket and sponge and things like that. Yeah. Um, so we loaded the bus and all the lads are just climbing on. And the regular bus driver... He said to me, Greg, he said, before we take off, he said, I've got to get a check for you, uh, off you for, um, you know, what you owe or what the club owes. And I said, yeah, OK, I'll pop in. Went to see Keith Pearson. He said, Greg, there's nothing we can't. Uh, we can't pay anything. There's nothing in the, in the kitty. He said, you'll have to go and speak to Derek. And Derek was in the boardroom where Derek's office was, you know. And <laughs> so I went and knocked on the boardroom door and I said, Derek, what can we do? You know, I said, you know, we've got to get to Grimsby. Central League at the time was a great league to play in and they'd got their rules. If we didn't send a team up there, it was a it was a big hefty fine, probably as much as a grand, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, Derek said, well, we just haven't got it. We can't pay it. He, uh, he found the bus company. And after a, after a long chat, I mean, there was no way that the bus company were going to send the bus up. Uh, they were obviously worried about getting their money because nobody was getting paid at the time. Office staff or coaching staff or players were having to wait for wages. Yeah. And so they refused to send. Derek, Derek <laughs> spoke with me and he said, um, he said, Craig, what can we do? He said, how about the minibus? Well, we had a 12-seater 12, <laughs> 12 minibus. <laughs> <clears throat> and I, he said, well, that'll do. He said, get the lads in on the bus uh, and it would, will you drive them up there? I said, Derek, it's a 12-seater minibus. Um, I said, including the driver, that's me. And, uh, he said, well, you're registered as a player. He said, you'll have to be some. <laughs> well, if anybody's if anybody's looked at the photograph of me, you must... I'm, the fattest coach of all time, you know. I was, you about, said it, Greg. I was about seven. I was about seventeen stones then, you know. Oh, um, uh, and I said, "You won't make it." He said, "You'll have to be sub." You know, we've got to field the team. So anyway, off we went. Off we went up to uh, Grimsby. We got there in time for the game. Managed to scrape the petrol money up to get the four truck. This is Wolverhampton Wonders, Don't forget, you know, uh, one of the biggest clubs in the mm. country. In the world, been, you know, and we're struggling to get a minibus to Grimsby, you know, with with schoolboy players, with loan players, with with anything just to field the team. And didn't you, know? you didn't you uh, th you couldn't even fit the kit up, could you, Greg? No, I sent a, I sent one of the apprentices down to uh, down the shop to get some carrier bags. Uh, we took all the, we couldn't get the 
the skip onto the bu- onto the mini bus, you know, so that we've had to get all the kit off. They all got their own shirts, put their own boots in carrier bags under the seats in the bus, and we took like a, I don't know how long it took us three or four hours to get up to Grimsby, uh, <laughs> but we did it. We played, um, played played a game, and uh, we actually I remember we won. The lads were did tremendous, you know. They did. But did you, what did I you really come on, remember Greg? about the did you come on the really, show? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. What I really remember about the game, one of the lads got injured <laughs> with about 20 minutes to go. Yeah. So this big, fat coach <laughs> had to go on. Well, I stuck myself in it right back and just hammered everything that I could hammer up the, up the park. I mean, listen, the, the, this is the beauty of that time, Greg, and, and I, I always say I've got a morbid fascination with that time because it was it was closer to the working man than it's ever going to be. And, you know, these things really were happening. And it must be, as as sad as it was at the time, it must have been I mean, Wolverhampton Wanderers Football Club today couldn't imagine that we couldn't field a team. Couldn't field a team or couldn't get the players up to the... Now they'd fly up there, they'd hire helicopters or whatever they needed to do. It's just just amazing, the, the time. Just to carry on on that story on yes. the way home the lads had done that well that we stopped at a fish and chip shop just outside Grimsby on the way home yeah um, and I, I thought yes, you know buy the lads fish and chips get them something this, these are young lads you know we weren't going to get back to Molyneux till 2 o'clock in the morning sort of thing so um, we got stopped for fish and chips on the way home uh, I paid out my wallet 28 quid I'll never forget it <laughs> Scratchy, I'm not trying to get the 28 quid back. Gave the chit to Keith Pearson the next day. He said, Greg, I can't pay it. He said, you look. I said, oh, Keith, I'll swallow that. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. But like I say, a, you wouldn't believe the club, you know. You've got, you've got girls like Dot, Dot Waldridge in the office yes. and Joyce Sutherland, you know. Sid. Uh, who was a regular team maker, nice, nice fellow, been associated with the club for years and years, doing it for nothing. Jack Dowen there, Mrs. Clamp, I mean, uh, I'm sure Wolves supporters, the older Wolves supporters will have heard of Eddie Clamp. Yes. Uh, you know, Eddie, Eddie used to come to the club to do odd jobs, you know, like fixed light bulbs and, and hinges on doors or, or whatever needed doing. He was a diamond. His mom. Mrs. Clamp and, and Eddie's sister used to wash the kit up in the, up in the Waterloo Road, standing two twin twin tub washing machines. They used to stand there for hours washing kit. Now, I mean, uh, the kit suppliers they just send a new kit every match. You know, they don't bother with that. You know, it's just amazing, it, it's, amazing what it, went on. You know, it's just we we. It, you know, the club is now so far removed from what it was. And, you know, it, it was on the brink of collapse. And if people weren't coming in and giving up their time voluntary and helping out, you know, there could have been no Wolverhampton Wanderers. And that's 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 a pretty fair statement to make. The club wouldn't have survived. Just to get a bit of atmosphere, and this is true, Eric Woodward, who was the commercial manager at yeah. the time, uh, I remember him giving me a bunch of tickets, you know, seats, yeah. Uh, just to go around all the local schools and factories or anywhere and literally give the tickets away just to get people in so we could, you know, we could get a bit of an atmosphere going in the ground. 
just, it was just amazing. You know? I, I remember, Greg, actually, it's funny you should say that. I remember being at school. I went to Uplands Junior School in uh, in, in Finchfield. And yeah. um, it, it actually happened. So uh, we was all called into assembly and we was told, right, there's some free Wolves tickets. Anybody, literally anybody who wants one can go to the game. And I remember it, we, right, yeah. we was playing Gillingham, and anyway, I, I got given a ticket, but I was poorly on the day. Bloody sods law, I was always ill as a kid. I was poorly, and I missed it. Um, and I did look back, actually, not so long back, and I looked through the record books, and I did find the game, and there was literally only a few thousand people there. But that was indicative of the times, you know, to get the people through the door, wasn't it? Absolutely. No, yeah, I remember, you know, I remember going out with players, you know. Uh, I remember Pee Wee came with me. Yes. Uh, uh, Blackish, um, uh, Derek Bryan, all the apprentices, even Tim Flowers, lads like this going around and giving tickets away just to get people in the stadium, you know. Wow. Oh, and, yeah. and like I say, the backroom staff at the club were were tremendous, you know. We had uh, a young girl, uh, a young girl on on uh, on reception, Gail Hughes. I remember her, and she hadn't been paid for two weeks, but she still kept coming in, you know, yeah. uh, just to answer the phones and uh, and queries. And like a, like I say, just tremendous spirit around the club. And, Billy, and, Pil- Billy Pil- Pilbeam, the groundsman. Oh, yes, Bill Pilbeam. Yeah. Billy was tremendous. I had a lot of fun with Bill. Yeah, once again. I mean, there's so many characters. And what, what was interesting also, um, Greg, I know... At the time, Kit was at a was at a premium, and um, there, w- there was one player who got, got injured, I believe, at the training ground. An ambulance come to take him away, and you literally had to get the boots off his feet, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we had a situation at the club. Um, you know, this particular player, we won't mention his name, yeah. but went down. Uh, very ill, it collapsed, you know. Yes. And uh, left, and he left in an ambulance, uh, but just so that we'd got enough boots. And people won't believe this, but it, it's true. It's the gospel truth. Just so we got enough boots, you know, in in the boot room, we had to we had to take his boots off him so that somebody else could put them on uh, if they were needed. You know, uh, it was amazing times. You know, Nike. Yes. Nike at the time, I'd got friends at Nike, a guy called Mick Holborn, who was um, head of soccer for uh, uh, Nike. Good, good friend of mine. I played with Mick at the Villa. Uh, and Jim Pearson, the old Everton centre forward. Who yes. Was, they were tremendous. Uh, I sort of more or less begged them, you know, to help us out with the boot situation. If not, you know, players would have had to buy their own boots. Yeah, which is another thing today. I mean, they've got they've got Adidas, Puma, Nike, all of these all of these big boot manufacturers are actually begging them to wear the shoes. Yes. we had to we had to play just to get get the uh, our lads in kit. You know, I it think, was. Uh, I remember actually during the filming of Moment of Truth. Um, Derek Ryan, uh, when he was when he went in to see Tommy Doctor for his contract, I think he was wearing one of Dave Wagstaff's tops because he was wearing this big, this big shirt. It was way too big for him, yeah. but it was like a shirt from the seventies, and it was literally a free for all, wasn't it? You get to the ground and you just get any of the kit you could, which was which was set old seventies kit. Yeah, 
Oh, your training kit. I mean, it was it was like it was well, it was like rocking our shit. You couldn't you couldn't find it. You know, they, a lot of the players used to bring their own t-shirts and shorts or whatever. You know, but uh, now training kit. I, I look at the players now and oh. they've got all brand new stuff and it's all got the names on it, all numbered and all. Yeah. You know, we were we. It was just. Really, really hard times, you know. And and that's and, uh, why I feel for Tommy Doherty, Greg, because you, you're quite right. He, you know, he'd had money to spend at Man United. He'd done a great job there. I believe, I might be wrong, I believe he won the FA Cup. Um, absolutely, 76, I think it was, or 78, was it? Yeah, and then he come to Wolves and it really was a sinking ship. Um, and I remember he, he made a funny quote and he, he said that he went in the... Uh, the trophy cabinet and two Japanese prisoners of war came out because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. the club was literally on its knees and there was one shining light at the time and we, we've had him on the podcast, a, a lad called Jim Melrose. And I remember Jim very well, super lad from, from up at Salesforce. Yeah. Yes, and, and Jim could have changed the board believe, teams, couldn't I he? I honestly believe if, they, if the board or the parties or whoever was in, in, in control of the finances at the time, we could have bought Jim Melrose for 10 grand. Um, Which is pennies, uh, isn't it, really on, now? On a long period. I don't know whether he scored four or five goals in yeah. in four or five matches. I don't know his exact record. Yes. But I honestly believe from the bottom of my heart that if we'd have managed to keep Jim, he would have scored enough goals for us that would have probably kept us in the third division at the time, you know? Yeah. Which is which is what we needed, you know, because obviously, as, his, as the history books show, we went right down. Which We couldn't get any lower. Which know? was so sad. And I think with Jim, I did hear a story where the, there was actual supporters groups who were trying to drum up the funds to give to the That's club right, there was, yeah. to sign Jim. There was, yeah. Yeah. There was, uh, yeah. There were, there were raffles and whip rounds and... I mean, one one particular guy that springs to mind is a, a fella called Malcolm Jackson. Right. Who, who was uh, a big West Bromwich Albion supporter. Yeah. But he couldn't bear the thought of seeing uh, a West Midland football league club like Wolves yeah. uh, go down. And, and Malcolm, he, he got a television sales company over in West Bromwich or somewhere, you know, and he raised a lot of money. You know, for for the club, um, uh, it was it was tremendous. I remember when we took the lads to Malta. The lad, we got invited by Majo uh, Rent a Car Company to go over and play with the Wolves Supporters Club over there, and uh, there was no way we could do it. And uh, Malcolm Jackson, Tommy Doherty, we had a comedian. Uh, he was off the comedians, George Roper. Yeah, and we had a fundraising dinner. And managed enough to get enough money to pay the lads' airfares. Everything else was paid. Major paid the accommodation and the renter cars, and you know, uh, we just felt at the time that the lads had put in the effort. Yes. Uh, and in all honesty, in all honesty, we just weren't good enough. You know, yeah. we, were, we were, with no disrespect to anybody, uh, the reason we got relegated was because we weren't good enough on the park, because. Yeah, I'm not knocking any of the players because the effort was there. Yes. Believe me, effort from everybody was there. But, you know, the quality of the 
the football just wasn't, you know. Hence, we got relegated. I think the reality uh, was, Greg, there was, which I want to come on to now, there was a change of managers almost every season. There was, you know, the yeah. confidence was that low at the club with what was going on, not only off the pitch, but on the pitch. And we was literally begging, stealing, borrowing a team. It was. I don't yeah. think we ever played the same team two weeks running. Um, you know, it, 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 it was just... It, oh, my you know. God. Jason, I mean, guys like Joe Owen, who was the manager at uh, Belston at the time, he was tremendous for us. You know, just to feel like I'm talking about reserve team football, yeah. which is what I was involved with, you know? Yes. I mean, we barely got enough first team players to field a half-decent side, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then to, to have to field a reserve to stay in the Central League without getting massive fines... Uh, guys like Joe Owen at Bilston lent us players, you know. We had players from Willenall Town, uh, players from Old Swinford. Uh, one we signed, actually, uh, Edwards. Neil um, Edwards. I oh, know, Neddy, good yeah. lad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was a great signing. Sammy Chapman yes. found him, or he found Sammy Chapman, or... But, you know, he was a great... I think he made his debut down at Brentford, if I remember. Yes. I'll tell you what's uh, interesting uh, there, Greg. Sammy and Chapman... He scored, tw- he scored twice down at Brentford. Yes. Because Sammy Chapman yeah. actually went to see... Went to go and watch Vince Bartram. And that's he, right. Yeah, he went to watch Vince and he ended up signing them both. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. So there was another man, Sammy. Sammy knew football like you wouldn't believe. He yes. knew players. He, I mean... He could tell you who was sent off for Grizzly Rovers in 1922. I mean, he just—he was just a, a walking encyclopedia. He knew it inside out. Yeah, yeah, he was—he was brilliant, you know. Um, uh, just and, and, and again, another very good friend. I remember, I remember Tom used to treat us every Friday uh, to lunch. At the squash club in Tetnell. Yeah, you know, Newbridge. Just behind. Yeah. We'd go down there uh, pre match, pre Saturday talk, and we'd talk about, you know, who, which players we'd got available and what the team was. And and it was always very light hearted. Tom had always, he'd always pick up the bill, uh, which it was usually menu of the day, you know, we'd just yeah. have a nice, a, a nice bit of lunch. Obviously, sometimes during. Joined by Roger Hippis and Doug Hope, and yes. um, Sammy would sit there, and we'd all have a chat and discuss it. And uh, I remember the one funny thing: Roger Hipkiss coming in, and Tom asked him his t- his side, you know. And uh, Roger Hipkiss loved Danny Craney. I don't know whether you you remember Danny. Yeah, Danny uh, Craney. Yeah, great player from Celtic. Great little lad. Great little player. But he was always first in Roger's team. So <laughs> Danny was going through a bit of a bad patch. You won't mind me saying that. Yeah. Uh, Tom's, he, he, Tom's given, uh, Roger's given Tom a bit of paper and said, that's my team, that's what I'd pick tomorrow. Tom, Tom didn't look even look at it. He just ripped it up. He said, Crane's not playing. It <laughs> 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 so, was just funny. Sorry, Danny, if ever you listen to uh, that. I'll tell you what's interesting, <laughs> Greg, as well. Um, I did read somewhere that uh, after he got sacked, Tommy Doherty, or parted ways, he actually went down the Newbridge Squash Club and I think he had a down the beer, to be honest. Probably did, yeah. Yeah. Probably did, yeah. And uh, well, he wouldn't have been on the beer. Oh, he'd have been was he a beer the, drinker? He'd be a nice, a nice bottle of red wine. Oh, so would he? Ah, right, there you go. It, yeah. 
But there's another one you see. I mean, you, I can tell you about about things that the hours that we put it into clubs. You know, we'd be going, uh, and Tom included, and Sammy, myself, um, we'd be going to reserve team games and uh, you know any game that we could to, in a bid to try and find a player that yeah. would do us. You know, and often I've got back to to uh, Molyneux at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, and we've gone into the you know, obviously we had keys for the place. We've gone into the boardroom there, a couple of sofas in there, and and Tom's ended up keeping on the sofa <laughs> in the boardroom <laughs> along with me and Sammy. You know, obviously Dugan had always got a bottle of wine in somewhere, so we'd find that. And we'd sit and yeah, I mean it was like, like you wouldn't imagine Wolves now. I mean no. they'd be staying in they'd be staying in the best hotels. We used to keep on the on the couch in the in. In the gold room at the walls, you know. And, and if you don't mind me asking, because I, I did ask you before the interview, we had a chat. And in fact, we had a chat a few days ago, and I did say, you know, I don't. I, I asked this player to people from the eighties. Um, what sort of money was you on, Greg, at the time? Me? Well, when they paid. Yeah, when uh, you did get paid. The most I ever got paid, I think, was about a hundred a week. You know. And you were spending um, twenty-eight quid of that on fish and chips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 28 quids worth of interest, and by the way, they've still not ever paid me back. You know? oh, not, that I'm, not that I hold any grudges, you know what I mean? With interest, but, actually, Greg, it's probably worth about 300 quid now, mate. You'll be all right. It's probably, well, you know, it, it'd be nice. It'd be a nice gesture, but no, I'm not bothered about it. Oh. I'll have a ticket. I'll have a ticket and come and watch one of the games when I'm back over in uh, in the UK one of the days. I mean, Tommy Dock and, and Sammy Chapman wasn't the only managers you worked with because you worked obviously with with Bill McGarry and, and Brian Little. Now, Bill McGarry, don't forget, he won the League Cup for Wolves in 1974. Absolute hero. I tell you what, there, there was another there was another man that really knew the game uh, inside out. Uh, a gentleman. Different character entirely to Tom, you know. Yes. He, got, he was strict, and he was. Um, uh, I enjoyed working with with Bill as well, uh, a great man. But again, you know, uh, you can have all the guns, but if you haven't got the bullets, oh. you know, you're not. He, he, he couldn't do anything. He, he couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't he, you know, after Tom, um, there was nothing really. At the club, there was no substance at the club to, you know, you need players and yes. you need quality players. You know, I was youth team coach uh, for, you know, for a couple of years and and you need a budget, you know, if you, to attract schoolboy players into the club, yes. the youth policy now. You need to be able to pay the bus fare to get to the training ground. You need to be able to, you know, give them a pair of boots or... You know, invite. Well, we could always invite the dads and the mums up to the Grand up to the match to have a look. You know, ten thousand I mean? empty seats every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I had seats. You know, all the all of the the commercial boxes. Yeah. I could go into Eric Woodward and say, I, I want a couple of boxes this week. You know. No, many just uh, sorted. And yeah, Greg. Well, what do you know that for? So, oh, somebody's dad's coming up from. You know, from somewhere, I'd like to treat them properly. Can we run to sandwiches in the? You know, and it was it was all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, different now. I mean, 
I think I don't know what the boxes are selling for now, but <laughs> you couldn't give them away when when I was oh, at the club, you know. Exactly that, and and that's the frustrating thing because at the time when the the John Island stand was built, Wolves were ahead of their time. That was a that was a, a, a huge big cantilever stand, you know. It was state right, of the yeah. art. Yeah. They had all the executive boxes, they had everything, but obviously it was the financing of of, of the stand, um, as as we know why it all went wrong. Just back to, to Bill McGarry. Like I said, this was someone in, in, you know, they say you should never go back. Um, and I suppose, look, what he'd done in the 70s was incredible. He'd got the call, you know, coming out the club. And look, he couldn't help himself. You would have done it, but he was just walking into a, a, a mousetrap, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, I mean, it was just impossible with, you know, with the with everything that we'd got. Like I say, with the bullets that we'd got. Yes. There was just no... Um, there was no way out, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't until, I suppose, um, the Gallagher's put money into it. Or yes. There was an injection of cash, whoever put the money in, yeah. you know, whether it was the council or whatever. Until we had an injection of cash, there was never never a chance of the club was, turning was, around, you know? And, and, and from Sammy Chapman's point, um, and he's one we are going to get on, Cavan Chapman, because obviously Sammy's passed away, but his son Cavan, I've been in contact with him. Um, yeah. And we are going to get him on. I mean, Sammy had to play his lads. Yes, there were footballers, but, you know, he was playing Cavan yeah. and Campbell in the team. And I know for a fact that they was on the receiving end of, of some abuse from, from the Wolves fans because, listen, the Wolves weren't great at the time and they was the easy scapegoats on the basis that, you know, they was playing for their dad's team. Well, absolutely. I mean, but what do you do? We were, all we were doing really was, was trying to keep the club going. Yes. You know, and trying to field a team. It was as bad as that. I can't stress that enough to all supporters, you know, that knock. Yeah, and it's easy to criticise and it's easy to, for people to say, uh, this guy wasn't good enough, that guy wasn't good enough, you know, he should never have been in the side. He should never. Yes. But we had to field a team. Of course. Uh, to come under football league regulations and there was absolutely no money at the club. To be honest, you know, Greg, I'm gutted that I wasn't born 20 years earlier because I reckon I'd have got a shirt now. <laughs> You'd have got a game. You'd have got a game. <laughs> hey, I've got a game at 17 and a half stone. <laughs> I, mean, I, wish was, I, hey, I wish I was 17 and a half stone. I've got to tell you, there was, there was one guy who was bigger than me who yeah. got a game. Really? The duck brought him in. Uh, Ray Hankin. I yes. don't know whether any Wolf supporters would remember Ray Hankin coming down. Yeah. Big Ray, do you remember Ray from a hell of a player, by the way? Yes. Uh, as a young lad at Wool, uh, at Leeds United, yeah, a hell of a centre forward, you know. And and Tom, had, this is after we, we had the disappointment and not been able to sign Jim Melrose. Uh, Tom had seen or got some information that Ray Hankin might be available. We got him down, you know. And I, I tell you what, Ray, super super lad, nice guy. He was massive. He right. must have been 20 stone, you know. <laughs> and it, it, turned, it turned out for us uh, on a couple of occasions at, uh, at Molyneux uh, where he, he got some stick as well. But uh, this is, uh, I don't know, we tried everything. Of course. We just tried everything, and you know. From, you, from your point of view, Greg, I mean, I believe you left the club in 86. Was, was You know, after going through all that and, you know, the question's twofold, really. One, was you obviously sad to leave the club, the club you supported after you'd put blood, sweat and tears in? And two, was it bittersweet in as much in as three or four years later, 
So Jack Hayward comes along, you know, before that you've got Graham Turner, Steve Bull, and the fortunes yeah. are changing and you're watching them climb the league. So was it quite bittersweet almost? No. Uh, yeah, but bittersweet, it's always been sweet for me. I, I've, I've always been um, yeah, a big Wolves fan. I've, yes. always, I've always enjoyed seeing Wolves do well. I tried my utmost in difficult times to help and to do what I could, you know? Yes. Uh, but I've never felt any resentment of their success. I only feel I only feel great, you know, that they're yeah, winning. Of and, course. and that they are where they are now, you know? I'm, I, and, you know, it's nice to have played a little part, even though it wasn't a great success. I didn't pick up loads of trophies. <laughs> <laughs> Although, it's, a, it's a good I, job we didn't have a trophy cabinet. Team, the Wolves youth team did very, very well. We got them to the... Uh, we won the uh, Southern Junior Floodlit Cup Yeah. while we were there, you know. Lads like Derek Ryan and Pee Wee and, and Martin Bailey, who was a, I thought was a hell of a prospect. Yes, uh, yes. I thought he had Irish lad, you know. He had a few games in the first team. Uh, Ian Cartwright, local lad. Yeah, again. We, we got Nicky Clark. Yes. Uh, Darren Wright. Yeah. Uh, Dave Hayward, all local boys, you know. Uh, and we put a we put a side together that, that uh, in the youth in the youth team did very very well, you know. I think I think what was so. nice, Greg, was the fact that even despite those dark times, you know, that I've interviewed lots of players from that era. You know, there's still a lot of smiles. There's still, you know, a lot of happiness. And I think the turning point really was the defeat against Chorley under Graham Turner. And then it all started to turn around. Yeah. And then when you see yeah. the monumental climb they went back on, like you said, you, you can yeah. look back and think, wow, you know, we're back. Yeah, it's fantastic, you know. It's fantastic. Uh, I mean, I, I follow it from... I'm mean, living down in Spain, but I've got all the Sky TV and I follow everything yes. like that. And I can't believe that at the moment there's there's a, an element of of supporters <laughs> at the Wolves that are starting to turn on the manager, no, you know. don't right? get me started on that, listen. It's, ri- it's ridiculous. <laughs> He's got a team there. He's got a team there that, you know, are potentially European... European Cup winners. Listen. Uh, sales far as winners, you know. Greg, uh, be careful what you wish for, mate. That's it. He's a tremendous manager. Yes. He knows what he's doing. And and Wolf supporters, uh, and I hate to say this because I'm a Dudley lad, I'm a black country lad, you know, but Wolf supporters can be so fickle sometimes. You know, give Listen, the guy uh, a chance. Uh, let, him, uh, let him sort his side out. I mean, is- this has been... This has been a, a major setback with the, the big lad, the big centre forward. Yeah, you know, getting this concussion, and uh, I mean, he was a key part of uh, of the way the Wolves are playing at the moment. But you know, to turn on um, to turn on the manager like some of them done, I'm sure. Look, I'm only Greg, the thing is, it's a strange one. Um, Wolves fan. Look, I've been a Wolves fan all my life. Um, I think there's, you know, I think it's all clubs. I think all clubs need a scapegoat, whether it be players. Yeah. Then they get on the manager's back. And and there's always going to be that divide. But the problem is now, years ago, it was from the terraces, right? That's where you'd voice your opinion. Now, there is multiple forms of social media where you can vent your frustration, your anger, your resentment, Absolutely, yeah. your vitriol. Yeah. And, 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 and in Nuno's case, and I don't really 
tend to talk about the current team on here, but I will do because the job he's done is unbelievable. The, the, the squad he's put together is unbelievable. This is the best football we've seen since the 70s and beyond. It's just incredible what we're watching. Be careful what you wish for. I have seen... I've, I've seen it must be there must be parody accounts there's people going oh bring Nigel Pearson in he'll sort it out Eddie Howe Steve Bruce I mean we're talking what's to sort out well, he'll nothing. sort one out there's nothing to sort out what they've got to sort out is progress all they've got to do is keep progressing the, the way they've done in the in the last four or five years exactly you know Listen, Greg, they should have been round in the 80s when you guys, yeah. you're running around with a bucket and sponge, you're, 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 you're nicking boots off injured players, you're begging, stealing and borrowing players and kit just to get a team. Look, we don't know we're born. Those times in the 80s for me, they were, they were, my first game was in 1989, so I'm gutted that I missed that, 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 that era effectively in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know... That was a tough time. They were tough times, but it's good now. I mean, I you wouldn't believe it. I go to a Wolves supporters club over here to watch most of the Wolves yes. games, and because there's one or two, one or two lads from the Black Country living down in yes, um, yeah, yeah, in Spain. You know, I go to a place called uh, uh, the Bolt Hole, yes. which is run by a guy, a guy called Roger Bolt, yes. and he's he's ex Carvers, his management from Carvers of Wolverhampton. Isn't you know? that down in Duquesa, Greg? Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Uh, any Wolves fans coming over to Spain, and you, you know, we're down in Duquesa Port, down the, right down the south. Uh, make your way to the Bolt Hole. You'll have a great night. Uh, that's a that's a plug for Rog, but uh, he's a great lad, and his, his brother is is uh, now one of the directors at Carver. Yes, in that's right. Henry Carver comes over regular as well, and uh, you know, it's just the atmosphere that the Wolves supporters. They still get together, they still get behind the team, and it's, it's fantastic. Henry remembers the old days, of course. He was a big sponsor at the Wolves at one time when I was there. Uh, always chipped in, you know, sponsored the ball or sponsored something, you know? Yeah. And is it, is uh, guys, it, is, like, guys like that you need, you know, they're fantastic. I bet it's quite interesting for you, Greg, because, you know, look, if you're talking to a Wolves supporter, with the greatest of respect, they wouldn't know who you was, Greg. Um, no, and and no, no, no. what's interesting, you can be having a pint in a pub in Spain watching the walls with someone, and your story is as interesting as anyone's. Being a coach at the club for, for so many years and working yeah. with the people you did, I mean, it, it's real, real eye opening stuff. It's only the old guys that the old guys remember me. You know what I mean? Yeah. The youngsters—they're all into. They're all into. The, the, and it's great, but it's it, it's great. And I love to. I just love to sit back and listen to. Uh, to a lot of them talking, you know, yeah. um, and if if I hear something that I don't agree with, I'll, I'll chip in, you know, and they say, well, what do you know about it, Fatty? <laughs> <laughs> and I say, well, I was happy to well, be there at the time. You I've know? got a little story to tell. So from your point of view, Greg, and I always end the podcast on with this question. Look, looking back at that time at the club, you're quite right. We, it wasn't glittered with silverware, and you know there wasn't there wasn't sta- a stadium packed to the rafters, and it was it was you know pretty pretty downbeat times. If there's one abiding memory that you can look back on from your time at the club, um, and it puts a smile on your face from that particularly difficult period, what is it, Greg? Oh, that's a tough question. Just to, to drop on me, really. Sorry, Greg. Um, I should have warned you of this one. Yes, uh, I'll tell you what, I, I've got great memories right the way through the club, you know, yeah. 
the, the the fun and camaraderie through players that were struggling, you know, you know, like the good players, you know, Alan Ainscoe, Tommy Langley, um, players like this, that, that, you know, Ricky Herbert, who was a uh, New Zealand international, yeah. went on to manage the national team, you know. All great lads and really the effort that everybody was putting in and the camaraderie that we had between us all, you know, and the fun. Yeah. <laughs> Friday nights at Cradley Heath Dog Track, you know, drinking a cup of bottle and watching the dogs run. Um, just just to get out in the fresh air before the game. Yeah. Not boozing in pubs or, or anything of like course, that. Just, of course, of course. Just a good set of lads that were trying. Uh, that's what I remember, mate. You know, all of the office staff, you'd walk in and, and yeah, well, there was disappointment when we were getting beat, but there'd always be a smile on their face and, yeah. and a good morning. And we were all working in, in the same direction to try and to try and improve, to try and get better. And from your point um, of view, Greg, do you look back on them times and, you know, in terms of, obviously puts a smile on your face, but do you miss those times? Um... I've never been one to dwell on the past. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed my times there. Yeah. Uh, just like I'm enjoying my time down here in Spain now. It's a lot better. I loved my time at Manchester United. I loved my time at Aston Villa. Yeah. And in Hong Kong was an... Uh, I've always been kind of a, an optimistic type of guy. Yes. More than, more than a pessimist. Yeah. I mean, Wolves, Wolves' situation was dire. It was bad. But... I still look upon it with fond memories and and and, and good times, you know. Yeah. I think I think that if I would have been looking back on it and known that we'd just given up and we weren't trying, you know, yeah. that would have upset me. But to look back on it and just to be able to say that everybody, down to the junior apprentice up to the chairman Dugan. At the time, everybody was doing the best. Yes. And that's, that gives you satisfaction, you know? Of course. If you can look back and say, at least I've tried, you know? Well, Greg. Uh, then then I'm happy. I'm content. I'm quite content with with my lot now, you know? Well, Greg, you, so, you listen, you did just that. Greg, thank you for your time on the podcast today. More importantly, thank you for, you know, for, for putting that service into our great club and thank you for being one of the people that, that did jobs that, that, that a lot of people wouldn't have wanted to do and, you know, it's down to people like you that we've still got a club today. So thank you very much for your time today, Greg. James, thank you for for having me on. I've, uh, I've enjoyed talking to you and it's great and maybe one day we'll get back to Molyneux and, you know, just trying to relive a bit of the old days. Well, listen, before that, mate, I'm coming over to Spain for a beer with you in the bolt hole. <laughs> well, that'll be nice, bring your golf clubs, because that's all I do these days. That's We've been out, mate. Golf and if I bring my golf like clubs, a... mate, we'll, we'll end up in the trees all week. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got radar, mate. We, we'll find your ball. Brilliant. We'll Thank, find your ball. Brilliant. Thanks for your time, Greg. All right, mate. Thank you. Cheers, mate.